You're listening to IEPs and more with Kathy Greco. Answering your questions and talking to parents and professionals in the field of care and education of kids and young adults. Welcome to my talk with Lori Gobi. Lori has been a special education teacher for 39 years. She has taught in the moderate to severe programs at all age levels, but really found her true calling in love and working with the Young Adults Program. I know you will enjoy hearing more about her work and her heart. We are here today with my long, long childhood friend, Lori Gobi who I have known, she comes from a good Italian family and her father I knew my entire life because in a little corner of America, he had what was Ray's Bakery, where we spent so many good memories of that fresh baked bread and those beautiful cookies and a really warm, warm environment of love and family. And I know that all of that has been instilled in how you were raised and who you are and your service to the community. So as we were just talking, you told me that you had been a recently retired last year. Right. And you had been teaching for 39 years. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I started at, I started teaching at 22 while I was still actually in college. They needed a teacher for um, Mod Severe Preschool. And I was doing my fifth year, which was clearing my credential and getting my master's. And I said, well, I can't teach and do all of this together. And he said, well, sure you can. What time's class? I said, I go from four to 10 every night. He goes, oh, school gets out at three. You're fine. So, <laughs> so I, I thought, well, it gets my foot in the door. I should just do it. So I actually taught the last year of my, of my schooling. And so I actually started young was able to retire. And you know, Lori, none of that surprises me with the work ethic that I know your family has always had. So that, and you were wise, you know, to get that practical experience, because I don't think that there is anything in the world that beats hands-on learning. Nothing prepares you better. Nothing prepares you better. And I knew in sixth grade what I wanted to do. So I always had the love and the passion And it was hard to turn it down because I had been at that school site. I had a friend who was teaching there. So I'd visit a lot and volunteer and stuff. And and I just, the the passion was just there. And I thought, I can't, I I have to just do this. And my original major was to teach the deaf. I was a very curious child. And in sixth grade, I was with my mother at Lyons Restaurant. And there were people that were signing next to us. And my mother said, would you quit staring at them? I said, but I have to know what they're saying. And she goes, well, you're not going to know what they're saying because it's sign language and you don't know sign language. I said, well, I'm going to. So I went back home and I just researched and my sister had a friend. My sister was six years older. My sister had a friend and my sister said, she wants to learn it. She knows of a place, Cleveland school near us was giving um, classes. And I went and I learned and I thought that's what I'm doing. So I was going to teach the deaf. Um, and because I found a boyfriend and teaching the deaf required me to go to Northridge, I didn't want to leave Stockton. So I stayed and took special ed, but used my sign language all the time during my career. Um, of course you but, did. Yeah. Because you have a moderate to severe credential. Yes. Correct? 
Yes. And a BA, a master's, your teaching credential, and a moderate to severe um, yes. classification for your special yes. education credential. I, was the, I got the last lifetime credential they offered. <laughs> Timelines for me during my whole career were just spot on. Uh, somebody was watching over me because from the time I started until the time I ended, it was like, it, it just was the most wonderful. It was the most wonderful experience. And then when I look at the little things like getting the lifetime credential, being the last year and, and having COVID hit, being able to retire financially and being able to start early at 22, it just, everything just fell into place for me. So I'm very, very fortunate. And to love the job. you I know you really do love the job. And oh, it's really yeah. evident that your students love you as well. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit, tell us a little bit of the difference between teaching the early year kid kiddos and, and where you ended up was in the post-secondary helping these young adults have supportive, independent living skills and life skills. And tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, when I first started, Kathy, um, inclusion wasn't a thing. I started in 82. So I was at an all special needs school um, in, in Stockton and I was offered the preschool job. So here's my babies and I'm young and I've got a lot of energy and I'm going to just, these guys are going to, they're going to learn to ride bikes. They're going to learn to write their name. They're going to. And so I went in gung ho and having the young ones, you need a lot of energy because curriculum has to, activities have to change every 20 minutes. Okay. So I went in, I did, it, it was fine. Um, Inclusion, like I said, was not a thing. So I was surrounded for three years with just all special needs kids. And we, I was very protective over them, as all the teachers were. Um, about the third year, the law came about that said, um, we're moving these kids out into the regular. There'll be no more self-contained schools. We're moving these kids out into the um, regular ed sites. And I freaked out. I, I, there's no way I'm, I was so protective over these kids. There's no way this is going to work. They're going to make fun of them. And oh my gosh, where are we going to put them? They'll never make it. They'll never... Looking back, it was absolutely the best thing for not only the special needs kids, but for the regular typical population. It was awesome. So after preschool, I went to the primary, which was the inclusion, the, the inclusion. And, and when you say inclusion, the special ed program was still a self-contained program. Yes. yes. But what you had were, were the abilities for the special ed kids to interact with yes. the typically developing peers. So exactly. there was much more camaraderie. Yes, yes, exactly. It was it 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 and it started out where it was just recess. Okay. But that was okay. That was a slow transition. That was good. Um, nobody thought about putting them in somebody else's kindergarten classroom or, you know, um, until I came along, I guess, but um, (laughs) it was playground time. So we'd, we'd try to, you know, just watch them and see, and we noticed the kids were getting more and more involved with them on the playground, which was good. It was a slow acclimation. And then I'd have kids knocking at my door. Can I come work in your classroom? During their recess, which was sometimes we had, they were staggered. Um, They wanted to work in in my classroom, bring them in. So I would talk to their teacher and say, you know, is it okay if they come in and and work with them? And then pretty soon they were just knocking the doors down to come in and work with these kids. So now on the playground, 
These kids are protecting our kids, if anybody's going to make fun of them, or if the kids need help climbing the ladder to get down the slide. You saw this interaction. It was beautiful. Then we started doing things like I, I, that first year, I think I had um, a um, tea party for the mothers or no, it was actually, it was a Christmas social. And I said, I want the class next door to me that is, um, I think they were first graders. And that was about what my students were um, to come over and join us. So we had their class and my class and we came in, they came into our classroom. We made gumdrop Christmas trees together. The kids wore aprons. The parents came in, sat down and the kids served. And it was, it was a combination of the typical class with my class. So slowly, you know, we didn't dump them on them. I didn't say, hey, take my kid in your classroom. Um, with no supports, you know, I want them to come in for, for reading or I want them to come in for music or whatever. I, I always did it very slowly and, you know, little bits at a time. And by the end of that year, we were going in their class for music. They were coming into our class for art. Um, and it was, it just, it, it all just worked out. And it was scary for typical teachers, teachers of typical students. It was scary for the typical students. They weren't used to it, but they did learned, they acclimated. And once they're exposed to something different, right? Because that's all it is, is is kids who learn differently, kids who communicate differently. Once everyone understands that and spends time, then the fear dissipates and the natural building of relationships can happen. And that's what you experience. And And you you, go ahead. yeah, the, and the younger they are, the smaller the gap. So you have a preschool kid, you put them with a kid, if you don't have preschool at that school site, you you, you put them with the kid and have, have recess with the kindergarten kids. You know, first grade, second grade, third grade, the older they get, the bigger the gap. So when they go to high school, it's harder to build those friendships, but we've we've developed a buddy system. So um, in, in our high schools, um, friends who do, do I got to think of the name of it, but anyway, so you want to really start that young. And then did you, because you worked for Stockton Unified, right? For all those years, yes. Yes. did you have um, occasions to see like some of your younger kids that you started this with as they grow through their education? Did they maintain these friendships were they able to go to the middle schools together and things like that? Yes. Yes, I did see. And I, and I had parents at IEP meetings who would say, um, you know, we were at the mall the other day and a, a kid came up to, to my, to my son and said, Edwin and slapped him five. And the mom starts crying in the IEP meeting. And it's like, cause she's, he has a friend and it's right. a typical, you know, it's a typical peer. So yes, they, they, it, it did. The, the, the friendships did, you know, and, and kids, they change friends. Typical students yeah. change friends as they go from school to school, even if their friends go with them, they pick up new ones. They, you know, but our students are, are, are so um, open and willing to make new friends and to keep, you know, and to keep the old. But um, I did see, it, it was just, it was just easier, much easier for the typical kids to keep themselves involved and not be, like you said, afraid of, of the special needs population. So. so you ended your career actually working with the young adults in the post-secondary program, correct? Yes. 
Yes. And those were kids that you didn't necessarily know before or teach before. They had had different teaching experiences before they got to you. Yes, exactly. And for a while there, students were following me because I went from preschool to primary to middle school. And when I got to middle school, parents just kept following me though. I'm going, you know, and yeah. they put them in my room. But then when I took that jump from when I got pregnant with the twins and went off on maternity leave and I said, oh, I don't know if I can go back to those young ones coming home to twins and the, the, the young adult program came open. So I took that. So there was a gap there where I didn't have my um, other students. So yes, I ended up with a new a new group. And how long did you teach in the post-second program? Tw- 27 years I was in that young adult. Oh, program. wow. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. So, you know, when we look at that population, education is designed, right? to foster independent living for typical kids and for kids with needs. And once they get to the post-second, then you're launching them into society, into their living skills, into different things. And I'd like to know, like, I'm sure you came across kids with various skill levels and kids who had had various amounts of inclusion and preparedness for what comes next. And I, I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Well, first of all, um, I, I will say that that students, I, I, so many times I've had students that come to me and they can't do something. They can't, For instance, they can't write their name. So they're coming to me in, in my young adult program at 18. My program's 18 to 22. Okay, it's a transition program at 22, they transition out. Um, So they'll come to me and and they can't write their name. Well, the teacher before will say, well, you know, if he couldn't write his name by the time he was 17 or 18, I just gave up. Well, I had a system that I used and I never, ever said a student couldn't do something. Never. Because... It's just maybe the way that you uh, that you try to teach, because we are able to teach any way we want to get that to get the the end result to that IEP goal. You know, Um, methodology is in the control of the school district. Exactly. So so I used a backwards chaining system that I actually kind of made up for writing. It was something that I learned in college with gross motor skills and fine motor skills, actually. But I put it to use with writing and I would get, and it, it just, it always worked. So I would, you know, have students, I wanted them to be able to fill out an application. I wanted them to be able to tell somebody if they were lost, um, if they couldn't speak, hopefully somebody would say, well, can you write it down? Your, your phone number, your name, you know, something um, they would have them. So they needed to know this personal information and things like that. But um, anyway, so yeah, it, you no matter what grades you have, Kathy, you have 14 students, you have 14 different levels. So you might be wanting to teach, you know, teach the same skill, you know, but we're on a different level of that skill. So um, yeah. You know, it's interesting because the last conversation I had this way was with a woman who is the only person I've ever known that actually could facilitate full inclusion. And it's because of exactly what you just said, Lori, that there isn't 
a universal anything. Every kid is at a different level and every kid has an ability. And the way to get that particular student from point A to B is really dependent on reaching that student where they are. And that is what you have been so successful at on every level. Well, you just, you really have to think out of the box and and there, there's, you know, more than one way to skin a cat. And the district continues to buy curriculum for Mod Severe, which bless their heart. I, I, you know, it's wonderful. But I make my own curriculum. Everything is handmade. Um, I can pick and choose something that, oh, my gosh, this worksheet looks great. And I'm whiting it out and changing it, you know, and changing the directions and stuff. So I'll use bits and pieces of things. But, you know, students should come. Students really should start learning the things that I'm teaching in the young adult program should really start to be taught in preschool, hygiene, manners, self-help, all of those things. You are not going to get hired. Our ultimate goal in the young adult program is independence, daily living, and ultimate goal is to get them a job, get them off social security, get them living independent. No one is going to hire this student without having good hygiene and manners. They may not have any language, but I'll be darned, we're gonna give them some sort of communication system. If they have manners and they have good hygiene and they come to school every day. So I was very, very strict about those things. But I, I stress, and I've done in-services before for uh, mod severe teachers. Teachers, start teaching your kids this in preschool. They should learn how to put on their own coat. They should learn how to, you know, brush their teeth. They should come to school clean. They should, you know, you shouldn't have to do this at school. Um, So all of those skills need to be taught. Give them chores, parents. Give them chores when they're young. Little chores. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's the whole. That's right. And get them out in the community. Take them to the store and talk about the next larger dollar in the grocery store. Talk about the fruits and vegetables that are there. If you're going to buy some lemons, have them point to them. Have them put count two in a bag. Um, Get them out in the community. Don't order for them at a restaurant. Let them order. It may take a little while. You practice before you go, before the waitress gets there, have them find on the menu what they want, put their finger there and hold it. And if they have no speech, they can show the waitress, give the waitress eye contact and show them just as much as they can do for themselves. Is You, you know, you know the, those are actually really simple concepts and really brilliant concepts because you know, you and I both have kids, you've seen them on different ages and levels. And the simple things that you're talking about starting uh-huh. in pre-K and K sometimes get so overlooked. And then they're more ingrained not to have those skills that by the time you get to where you realize how necessary those skills are, you're having to undo behavior in order to teach yes. when it could have just been foundational, but people don't at that yes. level understand the importance of why you're doing that right. now. Right. And it's harder to undo a skill than it is to just teach it correctly in the first place. And, and parents don't, you know, I have a, I teach a college course too with um, teachers who are, who are mod severe teachers. Um, clearing their credentials and, and, you know, parents send you the best they have. 
They don't sit at home and say, oh, I'm going to send you this one because he's a bad apple. He's They're sending you the best they have. They're doing the best they can. Okay. Yeah. We have a, a, a parent who comes and speaks on the grief cycle. And it's just an eye opener to all of us. It's just, you know, um, but they don't mean to be not doing what they what they should be doing, what we think they should be doing. They just don't know. And they're in such a cycle of, of just a fast life. You know, it's I, my dad used to always say, you love them so much, you hurt them. It's easier to just tie their shoe and shove them out the door instead of help sitting there and, t- you know, helping them or putting their coat on for them. Um, but all those skills are just so important and you, you just, you know, have to. And that, that is a beautiful concept that you're talking about right now, Lori, because I don't think that parents take the time to really understand their process, right? Right. You, you go to the hospital, you have a baby and it doesn't occur to you at that point that perhaps your child is going to learn differently or you're going to have to learn differently how to be a parent to this child differently than your other children. Right. And there, there it's, it's like learning for me, what I've understood. It's like learning a foreign language, right? You come, then there's this thing called an IEP and there are these people at school and they seem to be. It's overwhelming. And nobody really knows what's going on. And you don't, as a parent, know what's going on. So, and that's why I do what I do. I try to get as much parent information and education out there at an early stage so that those parents have a place to connect, right? And And somebody who's been through the process can hold your hand a little bit. And that's absolutely wonderful. I, I just... I, I I can't thank you enough for that. I I, I have um uh, there we have a place here called Family Resource Network, and I'm sure there might there's probably one in your area. But the lady that used to run it is was my parent who spoke on um, the grief cycle. They have such resources for our parents. Um, unbelievable. They have workshops probably once a month on you know conservatorship. Um, but the problem is parents don't often have the time to go to workshops once a month. And that, you know, that's why I, because I facilitate a parent group the first Wednesday of every month where parents can come and ask. And I've done that for 16 years. Uh And I realize, you know, maybe your babysitter didn't show up or maybe one of your kids is sick and facilitating these talks the way I'm trying to do now, where I can put them somewhere when a parent has 20 minutes, they yes. can say, "Hey, I I, I want to know a little bit more about that." You know, <laughs> yes. it, it's no, I, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but the more information parents have and the more ability they have to access it, the better equipped they're going to be to understand what process they're in. Sorry, I muted you there. Um, No, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And like I said, parents mean well. It's just, it's overwhelming. And what you do and knowing you wanted to do it (laughs) since you were in sixth grade has an extreme emotional component to it, right? I mean, you love every one of your kids. You're attached to every one of your kids. and, And yet you come home and you have your own family. How did you learn to 
detach or diddy or what did that look like with your kids growing up and your life for 39 years? Kathy, my, my, my job, this was the hardest part about retiring is my job was my hobby. My children. And at the time when I was married, my husband were all totally immersed in, in special education. They volunteered at every special Olympics. They were in my classroom when I'd have my social events. Um, they were just part of my, my, my kids would request, could you ask so-and-so to come over for dinner? Could you have them? Could we take them to a movie when they got older? And my kids just treated all of my students as though they were part of the family as I did. And as far as the emotional part, there were times when things really, really bothered me. Um, uh, for instance, a student, I, I found out just from talking to him that he, I don't think he was getting enough food at home. So that really, really bothered me. He was a young adult. And I asked him if he'd mind if I talked to his mom and, and, you know, I respected his privacy. And I said, do you mind if I talk to your mom? Because I have a way that I can get some extra food to you. I said, first of all, we always have all these extra lunches and you seem to like them. I want to just double check. It's okay if we send those home, but I have another way to get some food and, and we all go through hard times, you know? And he said, okay, that was fine. So you know, when I got home, I, it just, it bothered me. That really bothered me. So I called the mom and she's, she was very sweet, you know, no, no, we're going to be okay. We're going to be, I said, no, I just want to do this for you, for me. I'm being selfish. I just want to do it for me. So I had, you know, I had, I, um, food, whatever that Instacart or whatever it is, um, deliver, you know, a bunch of food to him. And then on a regular basis, we had so many lunches left um, that he would bring those home because there were like five boys there. Um, and she very much appreciated it. So when things, I just, if something bothered me that much, I solved it because I did, I couldn't live with it. I just fixed it. I, I, I just, you know, I'm kind of controlling like that, but I did my best to just fix it. Yeah. And you approach the parents with respect. Oh, yes. And yes. And they knew that your goal was just to help. I, I build a very good rapport with my parents. Now, my students are 18 to 22, and you'll talk to all of the young adult teachers that are in that system, except for my daughter and myself. And, oh, you know, I can't call their parent or I, I can't let their parent know that because they're they're 18 and da 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 da. I don't, I don't follow that rule because if I was a parent of a student who had a special needs or my typical kid went off to Delta. I said, you want me to keep paying your tuition? I want to see your report card. <laughs> so, you know, but I would just, yeah. So I kept a very good rapport with my parent. It was parents. It wasn't like I, I called and tattled. I would send them videos, text videos of them doing something good. Look, he now folds shirts, woo, you know, and I would send positive things to him so that when they got that call, they weren't, Oh, what do you do now? Yeah, not this. No. So because I there is a lot of that. And, yeah. you know, my friend Kim also said because she got into this because she had a daughter with Down syndrome, right? And back then she said, which is like, I couldn't even believe at the hospital, they told her, you don't have to take this baby home. Right. And Every assessment, and you know how many assessments there are in the educational process, really focused on what her daughter could not do. Right. As opposed to what we can do. And now that Kim is creating programs for sustainable employment, 
those assessments are coming back to look at the capability. And for parents to actually understand and have proof of growth and positive, that's everything. And teachers don't often take the time to to take that little snippet and say, look, look at how good this is. Yeah, I I would always um, always save work samples because I like I said, I taught, you know, personal information, writing name, address, city, state, zip, social. And we just kept going on and on. And I would always save work samples and I would show parents the IEP. Look what, look what he came in September, what he did and the same paper now. And they would just be in awe because parents are so used to going to IEPs and hearing all these acronyms that they have no idea what they mean. They want to see concrete. This is what your kid, look at this video. Look at him singing in front of the class. Look at his speech. He's putting his mouth together with his M's. He's sitting there. How'd you get him to do that? Those are the things they want to see. They don't want to hear mm-hmm. all about, you know, OAC, IAC, EIP, I, you know, all the, they, they no. want to know what their kid can do. And then they'll say, well, he doesn't do that at home. And then I look at him, I say, well, now he's going to start, <laughs> you know, right. because for- then it becomes parent education, right? That's because right. Say, and I just. Now we have to generalize it. He can do it. This is how we prompt it. Now you prompt it and go in the community and prompt it. That's right. And this is how I do it. And I show them, I bring out the touch money chart and I say, you know, this is, you know, his IEP goal is he's going to be able to count change up to a dollar of all coin denominations. And this is how we're going to do it. And I bring out the chart for the parent at the IEP and I show them how the touch points and I have the student. you prompt okay you say you know if he needs to say five or uh uh-oh are we okay yeah okay um so i show them how to prompt i show them how to reinforce if they have problems with behaviors i tell them how i handle them in class and for them to try them at home um sometimes they resort to i'm gonna call Lori, and then they just that just solves everything (laughs) (laughs) they just do it but um anyway so yeah so just um you know you you, and I tell parents what would you expect you know well he just sits home and watches tv and plays his video games well was that acceptable for your older son no he had chores and he got up and went to work and he got up with okay same expectations here he doesn't, you know, he should have his chores too. That can be the reinforcer when he's done taking out the garbage. Then he can play his video or whatever. And, so you, know, you kind of teach parents behavior plans. Absolutely. Really. First, I, yeah. then all the ABA strategies and how it applies in everyday yeah. life. Yes, I've sent home charts that they, you know, hygiene charts that they they, they put on their mirror. And I'm very much a behaviorist. Very much, so, <laughs> yeah. because um, that's, you know, that's what it all comes down to, right? Reshaping yeah. behavior yes. that's right. and having that's actual right. expectations. That's right, and the expectations are what are the most important, the, the most important thing. You don't, you know, say I can't. I just never would accept that out of a student. You know, I can't. I can't. Oh, that word's not. You know, we don't say that word in here because you can watch. You know, and so, and, and there's, you know, they're so proud. They're just so proud when they accomplish, you know, the littlest of things. And you have to break up skills in small parts. You have to have a task analysis. You have to, to look at a, look at a skill in small parts. 
It's like we study for a test. We don't study the whole book. We study chapter one and get it. Then we chest up, study chapter two, and then we go back and study chapter one and two, one and two, one and two, and then we ch- study chapter three. Get it down, and then we go one, two, three. So it's the same idea. You teach in little segments. So, is there any um, advice that you would give a new teacher, somebody coming into the system wanting to teach moderate to severe, mild to moderate kids? Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? I okay. Number one, you. Uh, Never, never allow your staff or yourself, anybody to dislike a child. Don't ever allow that to ever be said because every child deserves to be there. Number two, build a really good rapport with your parents, which means communication. Communicate with the parents, whether it's text, talk, call um, for good or for bad. Your staff, you cannot run that classroom without your assistants. I hear so many times that my assistant's on her phone all the time. My assistant, you know, da, 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 da. Well, do you have a schedule for your assistant? Do they know what they're supposed to do? Appreciate them. Thank them every day for coming. Thank your students. Greet them in the morning. Thank them for coming every day. Okay. Especially in the young adult program, they don't have to be there. Um, But find the positive, find the positive in every student and accentuate the positive. We go to, you know, when, when I get my assistants, I always ask them, what is your specialty? What do you like to do? I had one that loved to do yoga. I said, you're on, you've got PE, you can do yoga. The newspaper came out, took pictures and we were in the newspaper for first special ed class doing yoga. Kids loved it. Um, another, another one of my aides loved arts and crafts. So we had a boutique every year. to work. So you have to have a cohesive staff, first of all. Okay. The kids pick up on it if the staff is not getting along or, um, and then, like I said, everybody's kind to those students. Don't ever let me hear you say you dislike a student. That's not in our vocabulary. Um, look for the good, catch them when they're good. And I, I get up in front of the class and I model, then I'm allowed to let them get up and teach. And they, will teach exactly like me. I've never had a problem with assistance in 39 years. Knock on wood, I was lucky. But I did appreciate them. Yeah, and so. you gave them like you give your kids expectations. You had expectations. You didn't yes. expect them to just come in and know what to do no, no. or willy-nilly do things. Right. You you created right. a plan yes. for them. Right, and I reinforced you know, they were reinforced. Not a day that they left that I didn't say, thank you. I'll see you tomorrow. Um, and even they, they would even tell me, you're the only teacher that's ever thanked me you know, for, <laughs> for coming. I said, well, I appreciate you. I couldn't do my job without you. I want someone to walk into my classroom and not know the teacher from the assistants. I don't have that power. You don't have ego in it. I don't know. I don't want, I don't, I'm not that power. There are so many teachers out there that I am the teacher and you are the assistant. You know, I want somebody to come in. It's a compliment to me when they walk up to my assistant, ask them a question. And then she'll go, well, that's the teacher over there. You should ask. And I tell them later, I say, you know what? That's a compliment. That is a huge compliment to me. That does not offend me at all. No, 
No, you want your people to be better. That's right. All of them. Because that's, that's right. the only way you can best serve kids, right? Is for that's all right. of us to continue right. to learn and grow. Yes, yes. And in, in the young adult program, we go out in very small groups, two to three students with an assist um, out into the community to do our community-based instruction. And I want to know that I can trust my assistant to, you know, follow the behavioral guidelines and to, to reinforce the students and to teach the skills like they sh- like they should be taught with respect to that student, you know, that to know every student. So I would rotate them. I want them to know every student. That that was a good plan. So what's it like in retirement now that all that's, (laughs) all that's gone? Oh, they're they're still calling me. I've got them on, I've got some of the students on Facebook and, um, but I get calls. I got a call. Um, I get a call at least twice a month from a student I had. He's 30, left when he was 22, so 17 years ago. I still get calls from him um, and my former students. I, I actually handed them off to a fabulous teacher, fabulous teacher. And my, my, one of my, two of my assistants out of the three stayed and they were great. So things are going really well. Um, but I do hear from them. They, the, I always had an, an open door policy with regards to my phone. As long as they didn't take advantage of it, um, they were always free to call me or text me. I just had a student text me this morning. Well, so and I get that from a student and a school perspective, but from your perspective, who has been immersed in this your entire life, right? Uh-huh. What what's your life like now? You get up, you're not creating uh, curriculum for 14 students. I know. How does it I, feel? You know, it I don't I, I I have not slowed down one bit in in with respect to energy-wise. I, I keep myself very busy. Um, right now I have a boyfriend who has a business and is not able to retire yet. So I'm helping him a little bit. I can't do um, I mean, he, he's an, he has an electrical business, so obviously I can't do like that, but I can file and go to the bank and the post office and do things like that for him. Um, my daughter is in the young adult program. So if she needs anything, I'm here to help her. Um, and I'm traveling. I've been traveling. So because my boyfriend loves to travel um, and he does take time to do that. So that's been wonderful. So you've been enjoying Figuring yes. out ways to stay busy, stay connected. Yes. Yes. Would you ever consider just like how you were telling me you had a system to teach writing that never yeah. failed, right? Like, would you consider well, I, making a YouTube video about showing that system? Because that would be a valuable tool, Lori, for parents yes. to watch. Actually, my daughter, Nicole, is very, um, very much very savvy. She has her own YouTube channel and um, she models for different stores, clothing, and she's really good with tech. And she knows the chaining system too. She teaches it as well. Maybe her and I together could do that. We've done in-services together on it. I would love that if you guys would think about doing that, especially because I'm terrible at editing like, I don't know how to do any of that. I just talk and she then knows, yeah. people, and if you sure. could talk to her, even if sure. um, you guys needed a stipend or whatever, I would love for you to put that together and 
put it on my YouTube channel on okay. send it out to my parents because those yes. are the kinds of things yes. that yes. people don't know okay. and you've had success and if we don't right. pass it on it dies so tell Nicole I have a whole new job for her now I don't know if you've seen if you're on Instagram, but it's uh, um, oh, what's I have to look it up. Um, let me put YouTube backwards chaining. Um, it's she makes these beautiful cookies. She got some of my dad's some of my dad's jeans for sure. She's she's doing just a great job. And then she's getting married in October. So it may be after October, but I'm going to I'll get her. I will definitely get her on. It's called Crumbs by Nicole. Okay, I'm going to follow that. Yeah, and then the other one um, of her modeling, and she's just a hoot. She's got a sense of humor to beat the band, is Nicole Amber, and it's three R's and Amber. So Nicole, A-M-B-E-R-R-R. And yeah, but uh, she, her and I together, She and she's, like I said, videography is unbelievable. Well, God bless her. And are you guys still doing all the swimming with Sherwood? No, I, I stopped. Um, it's been, let's see, I did it. Uh, I did it 13 years. I stopped in 2015 Okay. and stopped doing that. Uh, so I just couldn't, I, it, that was, that was the hardest work I've ever done. See, really? teaching never seemed like a job to me. Yeah. See, teaching just didn't seem like, and I loved the swim team. Don't get me wrong. That's another passion of mine. You know that, Yeah. but teaching never seemed like a job. I never, 39 years, I never got up and said, I don't want to go to work. How many people can say that? No. And I'm not exaggerating. I loved my job and it was very hard, you know, to, to leave, but, but I, I don't have regrets. Like I said, I keep in touch with my parents and my, and my students and, and I was getting tired. You do get tired, you know? So, um, that after a year or so of doing what you're doing now, there won't be something that you will do. Yeah. You know, well, I've been already called. I, I I wasn't retired three weeks and I got a call from a, a day program to just name my price and they wanted me to come consult. Um, and Stockton Unified also wants me to come back and consult. But I just told him it's a little soon. Let me and that is my that consulting is that's what I enjoy doing. And that's basically what I do when when I teach that college course is you know, just it's curriculum and instruction. And that's my, that's my passion is, you know, consulting. Well, and I different- think that you would, that would be a perfect thing for you to do consulting and it, teaching right in services, yes. because yes. you can share your passion and what has worked with people right. who have no idea. Right. Right. And right. so I, yeah really happy to know that once Nicole gets married and things calm down and you, you know, have a little bit of life that you're not really going to let go of that piece because that's the piece where you can make the most impact without having to devote your life to it. Like you have for 39 years. Yeah. And she, Nicole is an absolute clone of me. I, I look I at her and I just say, Oh, the, the passion she has for those kids. And, and, you know, she gets the sense of humor. She loves the humor part of it. I mean, she, she texts me the other day. She goes, one of my students just asked me if, if you're, 
does your mother, does your mother have any kids? <laughs> and, you know, and we laugh, you know, it's just, you get, you get a lot of, a lot of enjoyment out of them. And then sometimes and we will laugh with them. We'll say that does now we're laughing because that was so silly. Now think about that. And then they'll go, Oh my gosh, you know? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. So I miss, I do miss that part of it, but from the program and I can go by anytime and see them all. Yeah. And that's wonderful. Well, I appreciate you taking this time with me. And I'm going to look forward to talking to you again. And we're going to talk about you making sure we get your YouTube stuff in order. Yes. So that we can teach large groups of people. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you'll um, by then have a consulting sort of business name, information (laughs) that we could add to that. Yeah. Because the more people, Lori, you touch, the better it is. No. And, and I got asked to do that too. I got asked to start a consulting business, but there was so much involved in it. And I just don't want to, you know, I, I'm just revving myself back up to where I was because I get so consumed with it. It's like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. Yes. And, and I'm going to put all my time into it. It's like, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, but, but sharing my, you know, my ideas and things. I had a parent just call me yesterday morning and she texted me and said, I need some, um, I need some inspiration. Can you call me? Her down syndrome son just started middle school. And she said, it's not the kids, Lori, it's the classes. She goes, they want to just, you know, just put him right into these history classes and these, you know, she goes, he can't even, he can't read. He, he doesn't know. You know, I said, I said, I told you, I told you, Nina, that as they get older, the gap gets a little bigger. I said, but what's best for him at this age is he needs to be out working with the custodian. He needs to be working in the cafeteria with the cafeteria lady one period a day. That is better than having him sit in a history class and not know what's going on. He's seeing everybody as he's serving them lunch. He's seeing kids when he's going in the room and emptying garbages or helping the custodian paint or do whatever the custodian's doing. He needs to be out on that campus and out in the community. Those are skills that are going to better suit him than knowing what year World War II started. Yeah, because he even sitting in that class, he's not probably going to know right. that. I said, now an art class, maybe a music class. I mean, when it comes to a PE class. That's fine. I said, but he needs to have a period of working with a custodian, a period of maybe in the office doing shredding, something. And and he's going to be exposed. He's not going to be in that between those four walls. No. And if he's going to be in a history class, then his curriculum should be pre-designed so that he's doing a project on World War or whatever. Sitting there when people are reading a book and it doesn't connect to anything to him. What's yeah. the point? But but starting with middle school, Kathy, it, you know, you just got to really think that transition plan starts at, you know, 15, 16, depending on the birthday. But you have to really start thinking come middle school. What skills are really going to benefit my child when he wants to move out or he wants to get a job? Um, you just got to really think, you know, these. And I asked my parents before the IEP, think about that. Text me or call me and give me some ideas of what you want on this IEP. And I asked the student too. Right. But, but, but I, want the, I want the parent buy-in. Without the parent buy-in, you have nothing. No, and 
you need that time, right? You can't yes. just start in high school or post-second. Right. You really got to map out. Like I tell parents, like you're the CEO of your own corporation and your right. corporation is how do I raise my child in this right. world so that my child can go do the things that I want right. for my child and that right. my child wants. That's right. That's right. And it may be using adaptations, but you want to get to that end result. Is it, that's the goal that you're looking at. Let's work towards that. That's what transitioning is about. You know, and they are, they're, they're experts on their child. Yes. So that's what want, I tell parents too. That's right. Nobody and knows you, your kid better than you. Yep, That's right. And you want their, you want their support. You want their buy-in. You know, I always, and when I had people tell me, oh, you're getting this child and that parent is just a pain. It's like, bring them on. I love those parents because they will fight for you for through. If I, if I want something in my classroom that I think will benefit my kids and administration's not giving it to me, that parent's going to go to, she's going to go to bat for me. Yep. I love those parents. Right. <laughs> we want the tenacious parents. I right? love those parents. Yes. I know the, the sad part for me is when you have the parent who really doesn't understand right. what is and isn't happening for their child. Right. And they right. get to high school only to find out that their child is not in a place to be prepared for what the next step right. is. Right. And right. that's why the, mo the more information and the more professionals like yourself that right. I can send out into the community yeah. right. to, to, for parents to experience, the better it is because I don't want kids to end up in high school and having to start there to figure out what comes next. Yes. I, I would say too, Kathy, I just want to add this. This is, has been a big obstacle. And, and for parents who are listening to this, if this goes on the podcast, um, when they become 18 and go to the young adult program, a big, um, a big obstacle that I've come across has been working those four years with that, those students as far as vocational training goes, putting them out into the work world with a volunteer job, with a paid job through the workability grant, um, vocational skills in the classroom that are trained. So they'll generalize out whatever it may be. Four hard, hard years have been spent. And that fourth year, we've got an employer that's going to hire them. Okay. We've used the workability grant. He loves them. We've paid for the first 40 hours of his, of his job. And now the employer wants to hire him and the student wants that job. They love it. And he's good at it, but the parent does not want the child to lose their social security. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for the student. It's heartbreaking for the, for the system. It's heartbreaking for me. Um, parents, you need to let the social security go. Let them have that feeling of, I made that money. I have a job. And a lot of times their total social security won't be cut. It'll just be a portion. But it's important for them to be out working. It's important for them to be able to say, have that self-worth and say, I have a job. And if they don't get paid employment and you want to keep their social security and it's, you know, get, have them go out and volunteer, have right. them out of the house, get them a two or three day, the thrift stores, the churches, um, any nonprofit, they, they can, you can get a list of nonprofit um, volunteer spots that qualify because you, there's certain places you can't let students volunteer, um, get them out there, have them work. 
Okay. And do you guys there have like um, department of rehab and things like that, yes. that provide job coaches? Yes. And, and so there's a lot of uh, resources in the community That's right. to help support yes. that independence. Yes. Exactly. The Department of Rehabilitation is a good one. And I get my students hooked up with them during the last year of their uh, four years with me. Um, we provide the job coaching during the first, you know, during those four years, we have uh, job coaching available. My assistants will go out and do the job coaching or myself. Um, the problem is you always want to fade that job coaching because it's not realistic. You want the natural supports in the community. You want them to go to the other, in, you know, when you're at work, do you have a job coach that you ask questions to, or do you go to one of your coworkers? So we want to train them to go ask the coworker, go ask the coworker. Um, and you don't want them to do it every five minutes, but you want to kind of train them to, to go that route so that you can fade away. Uh, but if they get a new job, once they leave, then department of rehab will start again with the, with the job coaches. Yes. Well, I, I appreciate this information, Lori. Well, I hope it was helpful. It, everything you do is helpful. Oh. Um, I wish you could find your dad's cookie recipes. <laughs> I know I do. Which one did you want? I think I asked my sister. Uh, <laughs> you know, the butter cookies with the sprinkles were always my favorite. <laughs> butter cookies. Okay. I'll just ask her what she has. How about that? Yeah. Ask her what she has. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh. Those are some of my most fond memories. Isn't it? It's just yeah. Those bakery. early mornings at Ray's Bakery. Oh, I, I know. And those big, uh, remember the big glass penny candy things he had behind? Yes. The glass jars. Uh-huh. Yes, the penny with the Jolly Ranchers in them and all the yep. candies. And then my sister would make all the, my sister always had a craft in there, but either the burlap purses or the jars with the dough on top with the candy yep. inside. And yeah, a lot of good memories, Kathy. A lot, a lot of, good, of good memories, Lori. We yeah. we grew up in a very fortunate time and place. Didn't we? So, yeah. Didn't we? I am so proud to know you and I'm so proud oh. to know all of your kids and what you're doing in this world. So, well, I appreciate you. you you doing this because I thought you were, aren't you working in the judicial system with? Um, I'm an attorney. I represent kids with special needs. Okay. So well, I, I go that. into IEP meetings. Okay. Um, I facilitate helping kids get the IEP supports and services Good for that you. they need to. But only during contentious IEPs. You're not there for. No, there's a lot of that I'm in. You know, parents, once they find me, a lot of times parents just like to keep me involved because I have experience and parents don't know what's out there. You know, they don't know these things. And there's no school, unfortunately, that's going to give you a menu item of everything that could possibly exist. Right. So sometimes I come in when there's problems. Sometimes I come in from the get go. Sometimes I come in when there's problems and we solve the problems and I stick around yes. for that time. So yeah. it, it's all, it's all dependent on yeah. the situation, but my. And then, yeah. You, you, you follow through is important. And I think parents, that's kind of where, where the problem is too, is because they'll promise you everything in the IEP, but do they follow through it? Nope. You know, right. that's, that's a it's hard the one. implementation. And that's the thing that, that I try to help parents understand is you sort of have to have the IEP team accountable to you. And if you only meet with them once a year, 
if they weren't accountable, you don't know till the whole year's gone. So check in year. a few months into it, you know, check in, have a meeting, look people in the eyes, can, let them explain to you what's going on. Yes. They can call an IEP anytime. Parents I know. don't know that. They don't you know? know that. But so after a couple months, I'd like to check back, call another IEP and, and, you know, check back with. So how did you get, how did you get interested in this field as far as, you know, law? I had um, people tell me, who knew me, you really should get into this. You're really going to like it. And having never had a kid, I had no idea what it was. I had no idea about education. I had no idea that there was a caveat of special education, legal specialties. And I moved um, from Malibu over the hill. And meantime, I had people telling me about this and talking to me about it. And so I was starting to understand and I was in the market one day um, in my new neighborhood and there was a woman who had a kid who you could tell she was having some challenges with. And I just said to her, you know, if you ever need help, there's help out there for you. And here's my card. If you, you know, ever want to talk. Well, she never called me, but the checker at the market happened to be the market manager went outside and got my information from this person and called me and said, you don't know me, but you were in my line at the market. And I have a daughter with autism and downs. And she was placed in a home, in a group home and the group program closed and they're being now placed in other places. And the school district saying, we don't have any responsibility. And can you help me? no one's going to serve my kid. Can you help me? And I said, yes, of course I can help you. And I did what I was trained to do as a lawyer from my civil litigation background. I immediately filed a complaint. Well, this home, this program was called Devereaux in Santa Barbara. It had a lot of kids that were getting displaced and a lot of them were regional center placed kids and were supported by what was then California Disability Rights, well, California Protection and Advocacy, which is now Disability Rights. So I filed the first case for all these kids that were going to be displaced, many that were represented or were going to be represented by disability rights. So whatever happened in my case was going to happen in all the cases. So disability rights came up behind me and supported me through the process. And I'm a lawyer. I knew how to read code books. I knew what was right from wrong, but I never had it in theory or in practice. So I had a really good support system helping me through it. And in that case, they had bad lawyers and they went through civil court. It went here, it went there. And ultimately, we prevailed and having so were they trying to find another place to live or a school setting? They put them in group homes in a different setting, and the school district there was saying we're not responsible for them. Responsibility lies with the parents' district where the parent lives, which was that's not true. Well, it's not true if you're placed by a regional center, that's correct. So yeah. In it's where oh, but see, I'm thinking adults. I'm thinking yes. yeah. How, were they 
were they younger no, kids? These were younger kids, right? Okay. So okay. after going through that merry-go-round, I felt like I had touched in so many areas. I felt comfortable yeah. and confident and yeah. I enjoyed that work that brought me more work. And yeah. like you, I've never looked back. I love my work. It's very hard. It's very demanding. It's very emotional, but I wouldn't rather do anything else on earth because in my civil litigation career, I would fix things for people that blew up, right? They created a life and their life blew up. And so I could go get them money, but I could never get them their life back, which is all they wanted. In this environment, I'm trying to help build a future so things Uh don't blow up. And I love my work. So I, it really was a God thing. I appreciate you. I've only, I've only, I was asked to sit in on an IEP where there was um, an attorney, a lawyer. Yeah. Somebody representing. Yeah. She was a lawyer um, and it was for another teacher, but they wanted a, they wanted another teacher just sitting in there just for input that they chose me so I could you know, cause I can't shut up. I just have to tell them, yeah. but, um, so, but that's the only time I've ever, um, experienced that I've never had, I've never really even had a contentious IEP. I just, well, you know, it's just, no. And Lori, like, like you, my but, goal is always to build relationships between families right. and districts. You don't, you're not going in as a threat. No, you know, but that's, there are times, yeah. right. We get to that right. point, right. but ultimately if I can build relationships and I can teach parents, and we are holding the IEP team accountable, which IEP teams don't always like because they want to do what they want to do. But eventually, if we're all focusing on the student, then our goal is the same, and it shouldn't get to a place of contention. But that being said, you know, I file litigation all the time because people don't get on the same page. So, you know, we can do it one of two ways. We can hold hands and say, Uh God, come by here. Kumbaya, come by here, dear Uh Lord. We can do it together. Or I can force you to do it because I know the law, you know? So our our district hears fair hearing and then, and that's all they need. And then there's like, what do you want? (laughs) We we try to stay out of it as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, it's expensive. uh, Not to say, you don't get parents that are, we have a, an autism population of parents. And I don't know if that's true where you are too, but they, they request a lot. Well, they, and, and not to say that, that all of it's unreasonable, but there has been, there have been some very, I, and I, not in my experience, but my girlfriend, Rochelle, um, she, she places, she assesses and places students and she's, she's right on it. She's good. But the, the autism program, um, it's a lot of demand. Yeah. And sometimes you have to manage expectations, right. Of parents, bring them back down. Parents also have an, uh, sometimes they see the, well, that guy has A, B, C, D, and E in his IEP. I want that. Well, A, B, C, D, and E aren't going to help your kids. You need D and F and H, right? So don't worry about what other people are doing. Worry about what your child needs. Yeah. I I need to see if I can get Ann Saramelli from Family Resource Network, who who comes and speaks to my class on the grief cycle. 
I need to see if she has her grief cycle on video. She zoomed for us this year anywhere because she is fabulous, but she explains that, you know, parents come into an IEP meeting and they're mad. They're really not mad at you. They're really mm-hmm. not mad at you. They go through that denial, that bargaining, that, ang- that anger, just like you do with a death, you know, there's, and then it comes back around and she goes, it gets back to joy, but it can flip. Those parents come in angry and they could just be, they could be angry at themselves. They could be angry because the doctor told them this or that, and they're taking it out on the teacher, but they're really not angry at you. So you have to, she just gives you such a perspective. Well, and if she doesn't have it on video, Lori, would you ask her if she would mind having a little conversation with me about it? Oh, she would. Because I would love that. You would love her. I mean, she is fabulous. And and she could do it in a short amount of time. She has an autistic son who she just did a fantastic job with. He's he's in a uh, was in a band here at a day program um, and can sing like you can't believe it's called the Stockton Advocates. Uh, on YouTube, the Stockton Advocates, um, the Advocates of Stockton, I think, on YouTube, and his name is Matt Saramelli, and he's the lead singer. Watch one of his videos. Oh, I love. So I'll I'll ask Anne um, if she will speak with you. I'll give her a buzz. I would love um, that. Yeah, she's she's needs to put herself on YouTube. She's fabulous. Yeah, and um, okay. and, and the, like I say, the more information that we can put out into the community, the better the community is. Yes, we we get some really good speakers, so I'll keep thinking in terms of um, of what would help you um, because we have about five or six speakers during our our college course, and Anne's a very memorable one. And then I have a special needs young lady who's in her oh, Chrissy's. Oh, she's got to be fifty. And she talks about her journey, which is start to finish. I will fabulous, fabulous. Yes, yes. She's lives independently. Her mom never thought she could. What she went through, um, and she's um, she's it's unbelievable. And that's always voted our favorite speaker. You've been listening to IEPs and more with Kathy Greco. If you have questions guest suggestions or comments, you can reach out to Kathy at Kathy at GrecoAdvocacy.com. No part of this podcast can be reused or rebroadcast without written consent. Copyright 2021 IEPs and more. Thanks for listening.